Acting Up with Jamie Crick. Hello and welcome to your theatre week here on Acting Up, where we bring you the inside track on theatre. Interviews with the stars and we meet people in theatre who make it all happen. Today we're going to look at the week's news, including Louise Redknapp's accident, which means she won't be part of the opening of Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. And we say goodbye to one of the Broadway greats, Carol Channing, who died this week. Johnny's going to be talking to producer Paul Taylor-Mills about what it takes to do his job. A producer probably does all the things you don't see and everything you do see. And I'll be chatting to Sharon D. Clark, current star of Caroline or Change at the Playhouse Theatre. And it's ultimately a story about love and loss and grief and hope. All that to come along with the recommendations for these shows to see this year from the team at theatre restaurant Joe Allen. And with us as always, Kerry Ellis. Hello, hello. And Johnny Bunyan. Good afternoon. Nice to see you this week. And um, you, over Christmas, were, were touring Japan and away. Oh, it so. sounds very glamorous. And it actually was. It was mm. amazing. I was, yeah, I was in Japan and who knew that there was so much support out there. Yeah. I loved it. I did some amazing concerts. Um, I hope I get to go back. I also did a little trip around uh, Barbados on a little cruise ship with my family, which was awesome. And I did loads of Christmas shows, loads of the Raymond Gubby Christmas shows that were just... It's been non-stop. And, and yet you went to the gym this morning. I did, I know, it's ridiculous. After all that. And she's still smiling, it's, well, it I is insane. I have to insane. keep up with myself, I think, is what it is. I'm chasing my own tail. Yeah, I had a cup of coffee, you had a spelt biscuit, I think it was. <laughs> but Johnny had... Well, just a bit of smoked salmon smoked on a bagel. Salmon. You're living <laughs> I mean, the life, you're living just... that showbiz life, you just... really are. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm wearing a very shiny shirt today, listeners, so yeah, it's great. I'm feeling very, very showbiz. But there's quite a lot going on um, this week that's worth talking about. I mean, Louise Redknapp and the accident she had is one of those things you hear about occasionally in shows. And I guess, Kerry, to you, really, I mean, it's... It's a fairly dangerous environment to be in. Johnny and I were chatting the other day, you know, when you were doing Wicked, there you are, virtually in the dark. I know it's not quite like that. But being strapped to this great big platform that comes out and so on, I mean, it's almost built for something to go wrong. It is. I mean, it, they are dangerous places. It, you know, if you dare look up when you're actually on the stage, it's just, you know, there's so many uh, fly floors and ropes and you just don't want to know. And, yeah, of course there's going to be accidents. It's kind of a volatile environment. Environment and you have to be careful, you have to be aware of your surroundings and each other, you have to look after each other. And it's so sad when a new show is opening and one of your stars, you know, gets injured because she will be devastated, I'm sure. I know they've been in rehearsals, I've seen lots of their um, social media and it looks like they're having a great time. And it's, oh, she'll be devastated. And um, and people going to see her, you yeah. know, will also. But um there's a lot of excitement about it. I'm sure it's going to open with a bang. What, what does it feel like for the rest of the cast? Because obviously you've been rehearsing, you've been getting together to do the show and suddenly one of the key elements of that is is different. I mean, it does happen. It's happened to me in the past, you know. I mean, look at how my career started with, you know, Martine, bless her heart, she got poorly in those early stages, in those previews. And, you know, somebody does step in and That's they're ready to. Lady, isn't it? Yeah, of course. And, and... We are designed to do that. We are designed to cope. And um, it's kind of brutal, but it's how it happens. And the show does go on. The show must go on, and it does. And I'm sure people will just be thrilled and ready. It'll be a nice extra boost for once it's open and then Louise joins the cast again. Mm -hmm. And Johnny, who's taking over? Well, Caroline Sheen is coming, stepping in literally at the last moment to take over. Of course, she's a, a West End pro. She's done a fantastic amount of musicals. And uh, she, she did something funny on her Twitter the other day, which says, 
a nine to five. I've got less than twenty four hours to get everything ready together for the show. So she's <laughs> she's she's taking it in her stride, and she will be absolutely fantastic. Oh, she'll be brilliant. She's such a pro, and it's, she's she's done endless shows, and she's magnificent. She'll be fabulous. Yeah, it's obviously one song she probably knows already. Absolutely. It's the rest to catch up. There's a lot of lyrics in that song. I'm telling you yes, now. That's true. Actually, there's a lot about of lyrics. <laughs> but also, it must be unusual. I suppose obviously you do hear stories of, of performers getting ill during an actual run or when they first open, but to get ill or injured in a rehearsal process must oh, be pretty unique I'd say it is it's devastating so we wish everybody. Louise all the best basically yeah, I hope she gets better yeah absolutely and you've got well you, as you mentioned uh, you've got Amber Davis Natalie McQueen Bonnie Langford Brian Connolly in the show so it's going to be a great show to go and see and now that Caroline Sheen's in it as well so it's a terrific big lineup. <laughs> We've been talking about the injury sustained by Louise Redknapp, which means she's not at the opening of 9 to 5. But coming back to the show, and it made us think about all the work that actors have to do when they're on stage and uh, well, the toll that can take on the body. And I've spoken to Nikki Rawlings from Physio Ed Medical to find out a bit more. The main thing to note with people that work in sort of um, big productions where you've potentially got um, repetitive loading of the body same choreography, same either heavy lifting, dance load, awkward costumes, awkward sets, potentially eight shows a week. There is risk for people to get a little bit tired, a little bit fatigued, certain muscle imbalances to creep in, and then also just accidents do happen. Um, So I always say to a lot of the patients that are doing these things to sort of just take some responsibility, make sure you're doing good maintenance, make sure you're doing targeted warm-up, cool-down, and some specific exercises to help undo that repetitive load that I, you do I guess, I guess, eight shows a week. I guess for many people, they don't realise, because it is, they go and see one show, but it, it's eight exactly. shows of often quite physical, um, you, you know, physical work, mm. if you like. I mean, I remember talking to Charlie Stemp when he was in Half a Sixpence, and he had yeah. like 4,000 calories to eat a day or something ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, just to, to keep, just to keep to going. Keep really. over. Yeah, I mean, so, and of course, the, the, the work on stretching and, and warming up and, and cooling down and so on it's a bit like an athlete absolutely um in a couple of ways as well so not just sort of the physical load that they put on their body but a lot of these sort of uh dancers are singing speaking uh shouting on a repetitive basis so their voice as well is getting used and exercised far more than most people it's like you're an athlete in a very specific part of your body either around the neck and larynx where you're singing lots of stuff while it's being very physical and then the whole body in itself and um, you want to look after it accordingly really so that things like getting little niggles and things checked out with a physio maybe having some maintenance massage looking after some tight muscles and yeah absolutely eating enough food like you said Acting up with Jamie Crick, Kerry Ellis and Johnny Bunyan. Talking of great shows to see, let's talk about The Lion King, which is going on tour. It's amazing how many big West End shows. I mean, I'm thinking about Les Miserables here, but also uh, Wicked and Mm. so on, which finally have ended up doing a big tour. And when you've got something as complex of, say, Wicked, you can't just turn up for a week somewhere. You've You've got to know you're going to be in a theatre for a good few weeks to, to make it all work. Absolutely. And I have to say, this is a phenomenal tour. It's the second time uh, Lion King has toured the UK, mm. back in 2012. And do you know what? It's the 20th anniversary of the West End production mm-hmm. this year, which kind of makes sense of taking out on the road again. And it is a juggernaut of a show. And it's the fact huge. is, it still sells out mm. night after night in the West End. And it's it's and also, you've got the film coming up this year, the remake, yeah. Yeah. Disney remake. Which so is the live action. Lion King. The, yeah, the Absolutely. Live action film. So it's going to be everywhere. I do find, you know, I, I the, the, the performance 
performer in me, not the... I, yeah, there is no producer in me. However, I wonder about the having two shows on at the same time, you know, when there is the, the big show in London and then they take it out on tour as well. You know, you wonder if it's going to dilute your audience. But on those big shows, it doesn't seem to, to do that. You know, they still come back to London and see it, and but they get to see it in their hometowns that, as that well, That was going to be my, my next question, ah. actually. Because, because I suppose... It's surely to do with the fact that the London production is the big West End production and that's like a day out or, or a weekend out, mm, you know, go and see yeah. a show, go to, the, you know, shopping or whatever else. Yeah. Whereas if it's in your local theatre, that's a bit more of a, you know, being a bit like living in London, I suppose, going yeah. out to the theatre for Absolutely, the and I have to say, I think that from, from, I mean, I come from Edinburgh and the Edinburgh Playhouse is my local venue and actually it was so amazing to see oh, big, big sure. shows actually make it that far north and come up and have the opportunity to go, do you know what, instead of me spending two, three hundred quid going to London, I can see, I can spend 60 quid and I can watch it at my local theatre. And it was so mm. exciting to see proper performances of that standard come to your local theatre. So A I, lovely I local theatre you had too. Oh, yeah, very big amazing, say, yes, that My local theatre. I love that. <laughs> it's yeah. huge. It's, 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 it's massive. Well, a, fun, a fun fact for you, it's the biggest... Proscenium March Theatre in the country, and it's got three thousand and sixty-nine seats. It's so amazing. It's the biggest really? venue. I yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah, no, oh, yeah. So, yeah. You learn something every week <laughs> on Acting Up with Jamie Crick and Carrie Ellis and Johnny Bunyan. Johnny, um, talking of shows touring, Les Miserables. We talked about it last week, and uh, the new touring production is the new show. In a sense, it's been changed. And um, one of the questions we were asking with the team at the Stage newspaper was how are the original producers, which includes the RSC, of course, feel about that? Absolutely. Well, there's been some news. The stage this week have reported that the Royal Shakespeare Company have been consulted. They're in talks with Cameron McIntosh about the idea that the original West End production is essentially closing and they're bringing in the new version, which, of course, is not their show. But at the moment, they are sad about the original production leaving, but they're still hoping to try and retain their, their royalties, which apparently, allegedly, they've, they've made £25 million in yeah. royalties since the original productions began. I would have thought it would be more, I mean, given it's, it's all over the world and so on. But it is obviously one of, one of those iconic shows. Kerry, I mean, from your perspective, Aww. it's changing. It's, it'll be different. It is changing. But, I, I, you know, I think it's not a bad thing for a show to have a new lease of life. Um, it's such an iconic show. Every, I mean, I, we sang a lot of the music in Japan and it's amazing how the music is loved and respected all over the world and it does carry everywhere. And, um, you know, to have a, a slightly new outlook on it, I don't think is a, is a bad thing. Um, essentially, that initial, those initial creations are going to be there, yeah. I think, anyway. And you were Fontaine in the, in the West End production. So. I loved it yeah. so much. I mean, how would you feel? Because we were talking about this last week, the, the way the shows change all the time, actually. Mm. If you look at the original, original Les Miserables, it was totally different from the one in the West End now. Yeah. But, um, you know, would you, are you playing that role, Fontaine? It, it would be a bit different. There'd be no big revolve for a start off. But I think that shows kind of do evolve anyway. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, you know, even something like Phantom as well, that's been here, uh, probably one of the longest shows. It is one of the longest shows. It's still going to be slightly different. Whoever plays the role, whoever is choreographer at the time, who's resident director 
director at the time who's you know it, we, it is going to evolve it is going to change that's just life but as long as the initial guidelines and the initial creations stay you know true to the story then I think it's okay and I have seen the tour and it really does do that so I think but people who haven't seen the tour are worried about production it is absolutely stunning and it's just it's giving Lamers a new lease of life which I think mm. is great so. so so when it comes in which is later this year the real question will be will the critics give it a drubbing because it's not the original production oh. or will they, we can't who answer knows? that question well, the original, we don't the, know the, do we I mean no. we don't know the critics always surprise us you never know but you know it doesn't also mean that they're not right all the time because look at Low Miss I mean it did get well, exactly. absolutely slammed when it first came out and look at it now it's been amazing so you know again it's a, it's an opinion isn't it the critics will give their opinion and that's fine well let's talk about somebody we've lost and a great star at 97 years old Carol Channing died uh-huh. uh, of natural causes she has been in so many shows it's, it's interesting a lot of the um, news sites are saying remembered of course for Hello Dolly but that's about how do you sum up a career like hers with one show it was such an iconic role for her and she did an awful lot of Jerry Herman's work but I was actually I came across a clip where she was on Terry Wogan's UK chat show back mm. in it must have been 20 years ago now and she was in London to do a one-off performance at London Palladium of Hello Dolly and she she sang on the show and she just has this total vitality and actually the ability to basically talk and talk and talk and talk so actually Terry just sat back and went I don't know what's going on. She's taken over the show. <laughs> she was definitely a formidable character. There's no doubt about it. So yeah. she'd be much missed. Lim Manuel Miranda paid tribute. So so did so many different people. And of course, she's performed in in so many sort of the, the big big shows. One of those mm. big voices, I suppose, if you like. I mean, Kerry, from your perspective, when you've got somebody like her who has been identified with certain roles an awful lot, it's difficult when when they phone you up and say, "Could you play?" Could you do? <laughs> You know, a show, and you think, oh gosh, well, yeah, there's is. all these people who've gone before, and their interpretation. How do I? Of course, it is. Do it yeah. in a fresh way. Well, of course, it, that that weight of of that um, expectation, of course, is huge. But you know, it's also an excitement thing because if if some if all those amazing people have played roles like that, you're like, wow. Well, I'm now, you know, I mean that lineup. How fantastic! So yeah, I mean, she, obviously, somebody like that. I mean, wow, what an icon! You know, it, we throw around the words legend and icon quite loosely but she really is a legend and an icon I mean how fabulous absolutely and actually just very quickly a little bit of gossip that I heard on the grapevine the Broadway production of, of Hello Dolly which of course has starred Bette Midler uh, and Bernadette Peters is apparently coming into London with either Bette or Bernadette taking the roles we don't know more yet but that I've just They're heard on the grapevine doing a job show <laughs> but I have to say it'd be a fantastic role for Carrie Ellis oh thank you wouldn't it <laughs> Let's just put that out there. Yeah, let's get it into ether. I think you'd be fab. I don't mind being that. Bernadette Peters or uh, Bette Midler or Carrie Ellis. I mean, I love that. It's a great line I'm, I'm up just there. Just in the same you know, sentence. Yeah. Yeah, All three of you. Still to come, we're going to talk about how you can be involved in judging the Olivier Awards for 2020. And that's a sort of public member of the panel that does the judging. And talking about the great British public all over the country in shows, we are looking for Amdram disasters, Johnny. Yes. So we would love to hear from you, ladies and gentlemen, of our podcast listening community. Mm. If you've been involved in Amdram uh, over the years and loved it, uh, but actually had a few scrapes, got on stage and actually sets fallen over, or you've just completely dried on for your lines, or as Carrie said last week, um, 
she saw a, a random prop on stage that shouldn't be there and found it absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Any story you've got, we want to hear from you. You could win the chance, the prestigious chance, to come into the studio to meet us, watch a show and be recorded. So make sure you get in touch with us. Email your entry to hello at actinguppod.com. That's hello at actinguppod.com. Yeah, love to hear from you. We even heard last week of what happened to um, Aladdin when the lamp didn't appear on the stage. Oh, no. On cue. Now you... <laughs> it's, always, you... it's always the most important piece, you know, that everybody's waiting for. Yeah, you know? everyone's... The music's vamping oh. and everyone's thinking, where's, <laughs> where's the lamp? However, so... it's usually incredibly funny for everybody <laughs> yeah, yeah. on stage. Yes, <laughs> and then afterwards everyone backstage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's hello at uh, actinguppod.com to get in touch and tell us a bit more. Now, I went to see one of Britain's stars who spends more of her time performing in an American accent than mm. British. That's certainly the case for Caroline or Change. It's um, a show which stars Sharon D. Clark, and I asked her about her life and the show. A lot of the time, for me, I've found it's about actually trying to hold those emotions in check because if, if I fully go with them and fully release them, then it's quite difficult to sing the songs because you're just crying so it's it's finding a happy medium where you can give out all the emotion of the song and be emotionally truthful with it while still retaining some technique to allow you to sing the song through to its end without dropping into convulsions of tears and not being able to sing it's funny you say that because when i see your character you have this wonderful way of being kind of a still part of the stage I can see the emotion, you can feel the emotion, but, you, but you're not expressing it. And that must, as you say, that's hard to do, but it really comes across. Well, I'm talking about doing that when I'm singing. I think with playing her in that way, that, that stillness is her. She's not really releasing anything to the world. She's keeping everything in check and, and making sure, because she is angry all the time, that she doesn't speak out because she feels that if she does, she's just going to say the wrong thing and probably lose her job. So th- that the acting part of the stillness is, is for me, paramount to Caroline. But when she sings, especially in something like Lot's Wife, that is all her emotional release. And so it is on that's the part where you want to kind of give everything away, all that pent-up frustration and, and anger and, and guilt and, and sorrow, all the, everything that's been pent-up in her is released then. But go back to what I was saying before, if you are not technical about it, then that's that's a hard thing to do because you can't get through the song. But actually in playing her, it feels very right to keep her still. She wouldn't be showing that emotion to the world, but the audience has to be able to clue into it to know what's happening inside her head. And you have this uh, such an extraordinary voice which suddenly kind of takes over the entire auditorium. But again, in a sense, you're sort of holding back and then with those anger scenes and so on, it just all comes out mm. in this really powerful way. And that's a joy to play. That's an absolute joy to play. It's, um, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I love playing her, I think. She seems very simple on the surface, but she's actually a very complicated character with the things that she's holding in check, with the things that she's dealing with on a day-to-day basis, how she's feeling emotionally about the, the situation that Rose puts her in with the coins, having to rely on this kid's throwing away shekels to make sure that her kids are eating enough and what that does to a person's psyche. So it, it's, it's fun to play. 
And you, of course, get to perform with a washing machine and a, yes. and a t- tumble Very dryer and so on. I mean, it's, it's an interesting, because when you first, you're seeing the show, you're thinking, well, who are these characters? But they are, they are the machines, the pe- they're, they're, they're the, the, uh, so it's the characters you spend your day with as a maid in the basement cut off from the world. Well, there are two aspects of, to the appliances for me. So um, one is their physical aspect of who they are within the show, is the washing machine, the dryer, these, the radio, these are the objects that she spends her day with. But on a secondary level, they are, for me, her heart, her head, her sexual repression, her conscience. So they are, they are the... I don't know, the, the, her emotional workings that drive her forward, that encourage her, that belittle her, that remind her who she is and, and, and the situation that she's in. And I always kind of think of, like, the washing machine as her heart and the radio as her head and the dryer as, like, her sexual repression and her, her anger in that way. So there's the kind of like those levels to them as them just being appliances. I mean, the the show's um, started, I think, off Broadway in the nineties, didn't it? It's a sort of exploration of um, civil rights and where somebody like a black woman would be as a maid. And there's a whole piece in the program about you know that sort of life where you're looking after somebody else's family and somebody else's children and never really spending as much time with with your own. With your own. Do you think there are parallels today with with the, the way we are in our society? I think the show is still very current and very relative today on a lot of levels. Um, firstly, the week that we opened the show in Chichester was the week of the Charlottesville neo-Nazi rally. Um, so you think that for that slice in history of time that's something that we wouldn't be revisiting anytime soon but yet there it was I think there are many people who are working doing jobs for other people in a way that takes them away from their families where they're not earning enough money where they are constantly looking where the next penny's coming from I mean here we have so many people who are working who are still dealing with food banks that kind of seems mad to me in 2019 now that we have working families who are dealing with food banks. So it all still seems very relative to me. It still feels like an, an important story to be told that on a humane level, on a human ordinary level, that these are what people are going through and these are the situations that they are put in. And just to give that a thought because it's not something we usually think about. In terms of a, a show with songs, you know, it's a musical, but I, I think the songs are really thought-provoking and they have that discordant keys to them sometimes that come in, which, in a sense, the songs are having a, like a battle with themselves. There's the nicey bits and then the discordant bits and so on. So everything in the show is about this this double life, if you like, with the, the surface being this just everyday society, nothing seems wrong, but underneath there's so much uh, trauma and so many people who make that happen who just um, don't have a good life. Yeah, no. That's, the, the whole household is going through that. I mean, Caroline is not alone in her loss and in her grieving and in her feeling isolated. Rose is going through exactly the same thing. She's moved down from very liberal New York. She's come to Louisiana. It's the South. It's not, it's not a, a culture that she knows. She's come from New York, so she's not had a maid. So the whole thing of dealing with a maid and what that, what that makes her feel, how, how that makes her feel guilty. She's also trying to be the mother in this household that is fractured, trying to find a way to get that household to heal, to find love within that household, not only from the man that she has married, but from also his son. So everyone's trying to heal, everyone's trying to 
find their way through life. Stuart Gelman is still grieving the loss of his wife and doesn't know how to deal with it and has withdrawn. You know, and he has that wonderful thing in the Hanukkah Hanukkah party where he pours out his soul and you know how he's feeling and why he's withdrawn. And it's ultimately a story about love and loss and grief and hope. That's for all of the families. Because I was about to say at the end... You could say nothing changes in the sense that she's still there, but everything has changed in a sense. It's that new understanding of a new world. And, of course, Caroline's daughter being part of that whole civil rights movement and so on. So there's been a lot of change, but not everything's changed. Not everything's changed because that's that's the world, isn't it? Not everything changes. But the change for Caroline, I think, is looking at her kids and seeing that they are the hope for the future and that hopefully that because she's been through what she's been through, that their lives will change because of that and put them in a better position. And in the second part of my interview with Sharon D. Clark, we'll be talking about her roles outside of Caroline or Change, which you can see at the Playhouse Theatre in London. And we'll be talking about getting work in television and how at first she found that quite tough, being typecast as a nurse, but then, of course, ended up as a doctor. Well, we like to get your view on what you've been to see. We're calling it the People's Votes and we're catching up with people who are coming out of a show uh, to find out what you thought. And first show we've chosen is the much acclaimed production at the moment of Company. I already knew the show, but I've never seen Petty LeBone doing anything and uh, I was really blown away. I thought it was very refreshing, very tart, satirical, sharp, really good fun, really enjoyed it. We didn't know what to expect, didn't know anything about it, but really loved it. I enjoyed the gender swap of the One. from the original. I think it, it just worked really well. I didn't expect it to, but it did. Loved it. You know, it's breathtaking. Um, yeah, I couldn't yeah, breathe yeah. for the first, like, five minutes of a show. Just emotional. I found it to be absolutely relatable, especially just given this time of, like, gender roles, and really quite fun. I think how the character of Bobby navigated as a woman, some of the, the situations just of dating and marriage and not really necessarily having to conform to one thing or another um, was really quite beautiful and to the end just not caring, I think was great. The three men in her life um, doing their little Pointer Sisters routine that drive a person crazy. Um, I'm used to it being kind of very classic and being you know kind of with the cane and with the top hat and the way that they put it off was just a lot of fun. I think overall was my overall sentiment, yeah. So the people have spoken, they voted, and I think to say, it's pretty much top marks, five stars. When you buy clothes from Balkan, you're not buying from just another online retailer. You're buying from a five-star rated brand. Fit and quality is at the heart of everything we do. And you're not buying throwaway fashion either. You're buying meticulously crafted, elegant pieces that you'll love forever. Our collections are defined by foundational pieces infused with timeless essentials and relevant trends. Marie Claire described our collections as everyday designs with a cool fashion edge. And The Telegraph said, if you're after a perfectly pulled together, paired back capsule wardrobe, then Balkan is your go-to. Right now, you can enjoy a little luxury for less in our end-of-season sale. And with free delivery and returns when you spend £59, there's never been a better time to try us. In fact, the only difficult bit is spelling our name. Balkan. B-A-U-K-J-E-N. Find us at balkan.com. That's B-A-U-K-J-E-N.com. 
listening to Acting Up with Jamie Crick, Kerry Ellis and Johnny Bunyan. Johnny, we like to send out and about to meet people who are important in getting a show on but don't necessarily appear on stage. Absolutely. This week, the role of producer was on my list, so I headed down to the Other Palace to meet the fabulous Paul Taylor Mills. He's the producer of Olivier Award winning In the Heights. Uh, he's also been top of the independent musical theatre scene, having recently been artistic director of The Other Palace and successfully transferred his production of Heather's The Musical into the West End. Mm. I began by asking him that famous question, what does a producer do? Everything. <laughs> I think a, a producer probably does all the things you don't see and everything you do see. In some ways, it's kind of the glue. Uh, I think if you've done your job well, then uh, you've let the creatives get on with it, you've chosen the right people. Uh, and I always say a producer is making sure the right people are around the table. It, it's kind of everything in between on a practical level. It's finding the money, it's finding the people, finding the project, uh, and then all of the things that just happen as a matter of course of making a show that you might not see on stage, but they've happened. I mean, it is a, it's a massive role. Let's talk about Heather's The Musical, because obviously yeah. that's a show that you that you launched here at the yeah. Palace, and then was so successful that it went off into the West End. I, I'd love for you to just give us an insight into what it's like to transfer a production into the West End, and, and I guess what challenges you faced, overcame by, by doing that. Yeah, it's it's an odd one. I've had the, um, the pleasure of doing that twice. So the first time was within The Heights, which we obviously took to a tent, uh, and then this was slightly different. It was a co-production between Bill Kenwright and myself. Uh, and if I'm honest, when Bill uh, said that the Haymarket was available, I thought it might be a bit posh for us. Uh, and he said, well, what would you do? And I said, well, I'd, I'd hold out and wait for a theatre that wasn't as posh. And I was completely wrong, which, you know, is the nature of the beast sometimes. My instinct was wrong. The Haymarket was absolutely the right venue for us. It's a playhouse, so it was the right size for our kind of show, which is a domestic comedy, really. Uh, it was the perfect length of run. Um, it was 12 weeks, in and out, uh, and it was great because we were able to retain most of the cast that did it at the other palace, which meant uh, the re-rehearsal costs, etc., etc., weren't sky high, which meant we could make a musical of that size work on 12 weeks at the Haymarket. And I mean, as theatres go, it's pretty bloody beautiful. It's so, so stunning. It's you beautiful, know. yeah. Yeah, and the shows that have gone before us, you, you feel that weight of responsibility on your shoulders as you take a, a show in there. Um, but it, it was great, and it was, it was so, so brilliant to have the, the run here to uh, inform some of the changes that we made whilst, you, whilst we moved it to the Haymarket. Uh, and that was the whole point of the other palace, that you had the freedom and the time here to away from the guise of press etc to work on the show and get it right amazing and um, the public often will see the title producer kind of yeah. written down in a program or on the post or a billboard what do you think they think a producer does i th i think well it's interesting i think the public perception and almost the industry perception of a theater producer is quite uh, mysterious in some ways uh, it's quite i Sometimes I genuinely think, I mean, it probably depends what day you catch me on, but some that perhaps people think that the producer sits there and is kind of bath of gold coins, like counting <laughs> them, and that um, people often talk about the resilience that an actor might need or the resilience that a creative might need. Uh, and I, we never talk about the resilience that a producer needs. And 
you've got to have a tough skin and all of that rejection that an actor gets and that a creative gets like a producer gets that on an hourly basis like trust me you know that whether you're going for a title or an artist um and it's really really terrifying at points you know you're raising millions of pounds um if if you don't get your act together uh there are sometimes hundreds of people that don't get paid um and it's it's such a sometimes it can feel a bit thankless um i would say and uh, there are times, and I've been uh, lucky enough to have these experiences, where it's heavenly and you know that you that idea has come out of your head and that you've made it happen and that you've seen it through and that it's connected with an audience and that hundreds and thousands of people have seen your work and that feels amazing. But there are also times where it's it can be terrifying and daunting and feel like the world is against you and, and on that where do you go f- to get that kind of support because obviously as a producer you're kind of the top of the tree so the mm. buck stops with you and from every department mm. but where, what do you as Paul Taylor Mills do to kind of either I guess either switch off from that or, or get that support to go do you know what I've had a really crap day how do I kind of turn myself around of course I mean it's, it sounds cliche but I keep a very um, I believe that people are everything and that sounds terribly profound but um my friends in my world mean the world to me and that's where I switch off I enjoy socialising and when I socialise I do switch off Talk to us a little bit about what's coming down the line for you this year there's there's an amazing festival happening here tell us about what that is So um, the festival really I wanted to do it for a while and I've been so lucky in my job that I've got to travel the world and see new work around the world And I've kind of, uh, without even realising, flirted with too many writers and got myself in a position where I had all of these wonderful shows but nothing to necessarily do with them and some of them were ready for production, some of them weren't. And I came up with this idea of uh, having a festival in London but that celebrated new work from around the world. Um, And it started off as something quite modest and now it's kind of snowballed and turned into this uh, two-week festival here at the other palace that will showcase the best work from around the world with some of, in my opinion, the best actors we have from around the world at the same time as uh, showcasing the new work. So it's going to be mega. Um, And then, of course, after that, I have Ain't Misbehaving, which I'm really, really excited about because for a while I've wanted to do a revival of something that you just know that works. And obviously there hasn't been a revival of Ain't Misbehaving for about 20, I should know this, but I think it's about 20, 25 years. Wow, okay. And I just want to do something really traditional in a new, sexy, funky way. Brilliant. Well, listen, we'd love to get you on to talk a bit more about that when that comes up. But finally, for people that are listening to this that are interested in getting into uh, theatre and the world theatre, but particularly producing, what would your advice be to anyone listening to this starting out thinking, I want to be do what Paul does in five, ten years' time? Oh wow, it, it's such a hard, it's such a hard question. Um, I would say, keep your head down, work hard, uh, see as much as you can, so that you develop a taste and are able to articulate that taste and find out what it is you want to make and the kind of people you want to work with. And uh, I guess uh, make sure it's something you really, really want to do because. It's both thrilling and exhilarating, but also terrifying. Um, And finally, just be nice. (laughs) And I know that sounds like such an obvious thing, but uh, we sometimes forget some of of the most basic things. And I think just be nice and be decent and 
quite a lot of the relationships that I established 10 years ago are now coming to fruition and sometimes it takes that long for a creative relationship to come to fruition. You're listening to Acting Up and it's uh, Kerry Ellis and Johnny Bunyan with me, Jamie Crick. Before we go, let's head once again down to the restaurants where the stars go. It's Joe Allens with uh, General Manager Cathy and Ambassador for the brand, Josephine. And we're looking ahead to 2019. Particularly this year to see... Oh, I'm completely on the spot. All about Eve. There we are. All about Eve. All about Eve. Though I may need to save my pennies up to go and see that. Um, And a show that's, that's just closed... 42nd Street. Kathy and I went to see it and and it was very funny because Kathy turned to me and she said, I'm not absolutely sure what's going on. And I said, don't think about the plot, Kathy. It's not about the plot. Just look at the dancing and enjoy. But you did love it, didn't you? Oh, I loved it. I went home and I did a whole tap dancing um, rendition for my husband and small dog, which was fabulous. No, it was wonderful. I always overthink musicals and I think I've got to be following the plot line, but I've been been explained, no, relax, do sequins, do smiling, enjoy, and then it'll all come to you. It washes over Yeah, I mean, some ones we're really looking forward to. We're really looking forward to seeing Wait. Yes, very um, because much it's so. round the corner from here. And how and relevant? It, yeah. How wait? How, how, how waitressy? Um, and it's American, so you know we're yeah. an American brasserie, and so that's just great. And come from away, I yes. believe, is wonderful. So very excited about that. And too. we're very privileged. We're going to see a special performance of Six, aren't we? Which is very exciting for us with the marvelous Watts on stage, who are our. We've been working with very closely alongside the performance bunches and they've been really supportive and fabulous and going to be a bit of a sponsor of ours. So a big shout out to Sita and her team and the great Ellen Hood who've been very supportive of all things theatre. What's on stage are just fantastic as are the stage as oh, well yeah. and we're, we're you know joe allen are great supporters of both both yeah, establishments because no, they you know they're what's keeping theater mm-hmm. not not alive but they're what's spreading the word and making the connections for us all and just and for those of you in shows just to remind you that you do get a 15 percent equity discount if you show your equity card guys so pop down we really do believe in supporting you and supporting the theater and you know it's challenging times but let's do it so do you have a story from last year, something that happened, somebody who came, came in? I'll put you the two of you on the spot. Oh, yeah, that's Here, a bit of spot. I think one of the loveliest things we had at the, sort of the end, end of last year, partway through, is, is we did have the lovely Barbara Windsor come in and everybody, you know, it, she just lights up a room and I know she's having her challenges at the moment, but I'd just like to say how extraordinary she is. And when she walked in, there's a hush. She's a national, natural treasure and just so much love to you, Barbara, and thank you. And that was a, a real highlight of last year. Yes, and I think I think the other thing that we've loved as well is is the um, is the ambassadors. Oh yes, and um, um, and Harriet Thorpe uh, oh, was Harriet. was made an ambassador. Just, just explain the ambassadors. Was the ambassadors? So they basically are people that we invite um, to be an ambassador for Joe Allen, and they so that they'll bring in people who maybe haven't been for a while or who are Joe virgins, as it were, and. You know, it's just good to have faces that you know and love. And Harriet is that, that, huge. Harriet, supporter. that unassuming, quiet, <laughs> shy character. She's perfect for that. She is perfect, and she adores Joe's. Always had. She's a, a great personality. She tweets. She she's just she gets the message out there. That's what Absolutely. we want. Absolutely. And a little known fact is she was the first female waitress at Joe Allen's ever back in the day. So when we did our birthday party, she sang "Oh, ouch, my feet" because she's was complaining a lot about her feet but yeah she's a legend in so many ways not just the uh, theatrical world we love you harriet <laughs>
Cathy and Josephine there at Joe Allen's and uh, we'll be talking to them, well, hopefully every week. They've got a big announcement to come soon about some special performances going on at the theatre, but I can't say anything more right now. Uh, before we go, let's talk about the Olivier Awards. The Society of London Theatre is looking for new public panellists to help judge categories for the Olivier Awards 2020, including for the first time a family panel. It's a bit like Gogglebox, but for the theatre, really. <laughs> um, Kerry, how important are the Olivier's? They are our sort of Tonys, aren't they, really? They are, and they're an exciting time. You know, it's. I think it's good to celebrate theatre, and everybody does gun for the the Olivier's, you know, it's a really important um, award, you know, and, and more so just to kind of put word out there that we're celebrating and enjoying it. You know, whether you get nominated, you win, or whether, you know, your show's just being talked about, I think I think they're great. I really do. They, they're usually beautifully done. They're usually a fun thing to watch. I don't know, is it being televised this year? I don't yeah, know it will be it televised. Is. And just thinking about how people outside of the UK theatre industry see them I think they're quite important aren't they I mean if you are on Broadway and particularly if you performed in the West End they're one of those awards that's well just one you want to put on your mantelpiece for people to see yeah I mean who doesn't want an Olivier (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's 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 a very prestigious award I really do I mean everybody's known about them for years and they're always uh, they're important you know and they are big you know the Tonys are huge everybody watches the Tonys and and the Olivier's are equally Mm. as, as big and supportive and it also tells people about shows that they might not know about and that, that will then want to go and see, you know, so I think they're brilliant. Yeah, star-studded as as ever. Uh, Johnny, would you like to be in one, one of the panels? Well, absolutely. I mean, I have to say it's a great role if you can get it because you get the chance to see basically every West End show for the whole year, free tickets. So if you really love theatre, you're passionate about theatre, then make sure you head to the official London Theatre's website where you can find out all the information on how yeah. to apply because it's a, I think it's a brilliant don't, thing. Don't apply if you only want to see the Lion King you are you are <laughs> going to go everything. and see everything else. I think it's a good idea too to have you know to have actually somebody out there of the general public yeah. that loves theatre and that just loves going and I think that's it's kind of an unbiased opinion of just somebody that loves it last thing before we go well, as we know, this week, of course, lovely Theresa May had a bit of a problem in the House of Commons with her Brexit vote. Um, to keep it light and fluffy, though, Matt Hemsey from the stage <laughs> asked his Twitter following, how would you sort of sum up Brexit in a musical theatre lyric? So we've got a couple for you. I love this. First, first Could you of all, sing them <clears> for us? Yeah, I'll clear my phone. Here we go. So, sing them all. Empty chairs at empty tables. Yeah, this is kind of a good start. Good start. Not a bad one. And then we've got, this is, a, this is one from a show you were in, Carrie, of course, oh. My Fair Lady. Words, words, words. I'm so sick of words. I get words all they threw from him I can't do it etc etc you know what that one was there was good commitment yeah, there though it was bad, not yeah, a bad there start. was even some actions there I, I, like. I think this has got to be a regular thing <laughs> but John, I think the Johnny winner sings. the winner from Gary that's it the winner from Gary Jerry who uh, has taken this line from the producers I won't sing it because I don't know the, the music but it's great it's just like Julius Caesar was betrayed by Brutus who'd think that the leave campaign would turn out to be my Judas oh, so I think it's a great it's a great, very great good, line very good well, very, very funny thank you both once again thank you you for listening and downloading the podcast don't forget we're back again next week but tell everyone you know about the Acting Up podcast absolutely make sure you subscribe if you loved what we have been doing subscribe give us a five stars also follow us on social media Carrie Alice is doing a little video for us which is very exciting so head to Acting Up Pod (laughs) on Instagram Twitter and on Facebook and uh, spread the word and we'll see you next week see you next week bye 
Acting Up is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com.